Absorb mo lang, just let it simmer. What? I, I I just want to talk about the fact that I I, I watch a lot of cooking shows on YouTube, mm-hmm. and what drives me mental are the people who don't have rice cookers. Like I understand, you know, you don't find a rice cooker a priority, whatever, right? But there's this whole spot of people where they own like they own bread mixers and they own like one use appliances for every single dish, and for some reason, owning a rice cooker is like. Oh, we we don't need that. That's too much for just rice. You sound pretty steamed up about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. That's pretty. That's that's that that's pretty good. That's that's pretty good. You can't you can't you can't hear it, but I'm I'm, I'm doing the the raising my finger to say something, but I can't say anything because I got nothing. <laughs> Are we ready? I'm ready. I was born ready. Who the fuck says that in real life? Nobody. <laughs> nobody says that. <laughs> Okay, welcome to the newest episode of Three Point Landing. Today, um, I'm here with Matthew. This is Misha. We're going to be talking about Watchmen, the TV series. What did you think of the first episode, Matthew? I really, really, really liked it. I mean, I don't know what people were expecting. I don't know what I was expecting. But on a whole, like everything I saw, I loved it. Okay, so just a little uh, groundwork for people who might not be familiar. Watchmen is based on the classic comic book series by um, Alan Moore and David Gibbons. Um, it was a deconstruction of the superhero, uh, the whole superhero myth, as it were. Over 12 issues it happened. It was set in the 80s, the mid to late 80s. And now the new show is set pretty much in real time. Um, it's like 30 years after after the comic book. Yeah, I mean, like, well, first of all, I think what's really interesting is that everybody who, like, you know, loves comics and popular culture, mm. who is at least remotely familiar with Watchmen, they know that it's created by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, like you said, but in this show, Alan Moore is not credited. Oh, well, Alan Moore doesn't want anything to do with anything. <laughs> and why is that? Uh, the thing about Alan Moore, I mean, he's like one of my favorite crazy old men, as opposed to Frank Miller, who's just crazy at this point um alan moore has always made it clear that he never wanted to do a sequel to watchmen so he's pretty much disowned everything that ever came after whether it was the comic prequels that dc did years later or um this sequel series that's happening now so he created it for dc but shouldn't that mean he already has like shouldn't that mean that he has a stake in the, in the creative future of watchmen like why doesn't why can't he control watchmen why can't he i don't well that's not the way modern comic books work i mean um unless you're like some superstar or creator you know you're not going to have the exclusive rights to your characters and well from what i understand he had a handshake deal with dc that they would never do anything beyond the original series of course time has shown that 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 that, that didn't last I think I heard about this. So the handshake deal is basically he made these characters and the idea was that if DC did not do anything with the characters for a while, the rights would revert back to him and Alan Moore would have like No, 100%. nothing. No, no, I don't think there was anything like that. It's just that they promised they you know they owned the characters because he created them for the publisher, but they said they were never gonna do anything with them. because uh, what I heard the scuttle the scuttlebutt I heard is basically if DC stops publishing Watchmen comics, he gets to have Watchmen back. But that's very easy to, I don't think easy so, to get around. Because they own them. They don't need to do any. They don't need to return them. They were never his to begin with. This mm. isn't like leasing out characters to another studio like Marvel mm. did with Fox and Sony. This is just DC wanting money. I see, I see. Off of characters that they own. So as far as they're concerned, they don't owe him a damn thing. 
And they they've done they've done extensions to the Watchmen before, right? The, the Watchmen. <laughs> yeah, they did prequel comic books. They've done side comic books that happened during the original series. They're doing something now called Doomsday Clock and the main DC continuity, which is mashing up people like Doctor Manhattan with Superman. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things happening now that Alan Moore does not approve of. Mm, and Alan Moore is historically famous for like disapproving of everything that has been like built. Like Alan Moore is the godfather of, mod- of modern comics, some would say. And he he's made like a bunch of stuff that have all been made into movies before, right? Like, and he's this this isn't the first time he's been like, oh, okay, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, every time that anybody's ever done an adaptation of his work, whether it was um, even the movie Watchmen by Zack Snyder or V for Vendetta by the Wachowski siblings, um, you know. And, and, from, and I think uh, From Hell and my personal favorite, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, personal favorite comic, but per- and also personal favorite bad movie. That was an awful, <laughs> awful movie, can I just say. Great idea, but shitty movie. But yeah, pretty much. I mean, as far as he's concerned, when he makes a comic book, um, he says he, that's his. That's it. He says his piece. That's it. He he disconnects from it. He doesn't want anybody to add anything to it. Um, he doesn't want anybody trying to reinterpret it in a different way. But uh, something that's interesting is that Gibbons, uh, the artist on Watchmen, doesn't hasn't exactly felt the same way. Yeah, he's always been to some degree involved in the 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 ancillary material, whether it's a sequel, a prequel, or whatever. Like he gives this kind of sort of soft blessing on the whole affair. Kind of, sorta. Whereas yeah. you can barely get Alan Moore to say two words about Watchmen now. Gibbons will always happily um, give you his two cents. He'll even endorse uh, some of the projects that yeah. came after. What I'm what I'm familiar with is like how in the first decade of this century, like um, you couldn't get Alan Moore to stop talking about how much he didn't like the work that was being done with his stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, what I kind of appreciate about him is that he always gives his blessing. Not that not that Dave Gibbons needs it, but mm-hmm. he always gives his blessing to Dave Gibbons. Like you know, if Dave wants to get involved in like those movie things or whatever, he get, he's allowed to do it. Yeah, like, I he, think he knows that he's speaking for himself. That's yeah, why. yeah. So he can't impose his will on exactly. other people. Which is, uh, I'd say, better than than Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's talk about the first episode of the show. The um, the Watchmen the series opens in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1921, with an incident that a lot of people may not be familiar with necessarily. Apparently, um, in 1921, a bunch of white people got upset, threw on their hoods, and decided to essentially burn down an entire black neighborhood. And this um, is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I believe. I, Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I heard it was like, like this is Black Wall Street or something. Yeah, it was apparently a neighborhood where the the the, the, the black people were doing very well with their businesses and all that stuff. And um, tensions flared um, over accusations of um, apparently a black teenager looked at a white girl the wrong way, and it was not appreciated. Mm, wow. So depending who you ask, between fifty and three hundred people died that day. And the the series makes no bones about it. They really show this to you. They show people dying in the streets. They show old-timey airplane strafing people from the sky. I mean, I didn't even know they could do that back then. So so, so off the bat, we're already starting this show with like a really serious, like yeah. uh, serious historical event, a racially charged moment, and one that is like profoundly political for like the whole milieu of America, right? Hand to God, I thought it was a fictitious event. Apparently, it, was, it really happened. And then, uh, the series jumps forward um, 80, 90 years to the present day. So 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, 
where um, the police are now all um, hidden behind masks for their safety, apparently. Um, they're not allowed to um, just draw their weapons. They need authorization from HQ before um, they can do anything. And um, uh, one of these officers ends up in an altercation in a traffic, a routine traffic stop. And uh, the chief of police has to go down to the hospital to go check up on his guy after he gets shot up because he wasn't able to defend himself. And the chief of police is played by Miami Vice himself, Don Johnson. Mm. I always, that's my favorite part about like the series right now as we are like, because we've got, only got one episode to go by and I think we're going to get a new one tonight mm-hmm. um, or tomorrow. And it's, it's the world building. The world building is just so fascinating to me. I just love the fact that uh, there's so many little details that mm-hmm. make it very much familiar to us, right? But other details that are very different from how we experience the world. So, the cops like they have their firearm underneath the steering wheel, or, mm-hmm. and they cannot pull that gun out unless they get express uh, command, re- right. re- like or permission, remote, right? Yeah, and there's like there's a remote lock release or something. Like they have to call mm-hmm. it in and say, yep. "I need to use my gun," and then they'll give the permission and all. That and stuff. I can actually see that happening today. I mean, with all the 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 the, the shooting accident, the shooting incidents that have been going on Maybe lately. You mean the, the the misuse of police force, basically. Absolutely, I can absolutely I can totally see that happening in the real world. Uh, even up to the point of police officers having to keep their jobs a secret from everybody who they're not related to. Yeah, and having and not. Even being able to do their jobs without wearing masks in public. I mean, because let's face it, uh, most people they see a cop, they go the other way. I mean, yeah. they don't look to them as paragons of virtue anymore. They don't look at them as, you know, they don't think to serve and protect when they see a cop. They just see somebody who might just potentially gun them down. And that doesn't matter if whether or not you're here in the Philippines or if you're you're in the America that Watchmen represents. Um, something I think that's interesting, though, um, there's been a lot of debate online whether or not this show is too political. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't know if there's such a thing as too political for a for a for a television show like like Watchmen. I mean, the comic itself was you know explicitly political and not in, Damn not straight. Not necessarily in the sense of, you know, oh, we've got a we've got a serious stance. Although that was totally there. Yeah. But rather, so much of uh, the story of Watchmen, all twelve issues, is, was bound up in politics. It That's was right. bound up in politics of like, you know, the 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 role of the state in like, uh, in, in imminent Armageddon, the um, the relationship that uh, vigilantes have with authorities, uh, like everything, even down to the conclusion of the comic being about how uh, Rorschach makes a stance about where where he draws the line and how things should be resolved and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the manifesto he makes like right. everything like it's and even the role that the vigilantes plays in pe- uh, have in peacekeeping like there's just one pivotal scene in the in the comic book if i recall correctly where mm-hmm. night owl and comedian are like floating above the city and the city is rioting and looting and everything and, and they're like all right we got to we got to keep the the masses in check and all that stuff like mm-hmm. it's really Anybody who says that Watchmen the comics were not political is not is illiterate. <laughs> Absolutely, the, the entire all, every Whether, single issue in that series. Honestly, I mean, it was criticizing ev- criticizing everything from. And I mean, at its core, it was a criticism of power politics. The conservatives mm. who were running the show back in the day, whether they were talking about Reagan or Margaret Thatcher, those are the people that Alan Moore was pissed off at, the people he was scared of at the same time. So mm-hmm. he wanted to show what happens if you took that to its extremes. But um, he 
basically cloaked it in a in a deconstruction of the superhero medium, which itself um, ties into that because he was talking about nihilism. He was talking about um, the fascism that goes with putting on a mask and imposing your own order on the outside world. The order that you choose, the order that you decide. Right, right. And um, the thing about that is um, I, I cannot believe that anyone who read those books or even had any sort of understanding about them would not see that it was a completely, uh, the whole thing was a political yeah. commentary. I, I, I guess I guess where I come down on it is that, you know, look, look, I'm willing to entertain or indulge a conversation about whether or not uh, entertainment and popular culture should be political or not. I mean, I know I believe it should be political, but mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. indulge that conversation saying, right. should there be politics in our games? But, you know, the question of whether... Watchmen is political or not is like no bones about it. Absolutely, <laughs> without question. I mean, yeah, you can it, you can have a stance about it, but you can't deny the facts. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that maybe something like um, Thanos's goals. You know, yeah. I mean, you can have a pretty long conversation about about um, about the, the 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 political motivations of somebody like Thanos and how that could be applied to to, to our situation, or you may not. But with Watchmen, there's no <laughs> there's no going around it because there's so much there's so much political and cultural specificity to the original work mm-hmm. you know like you said it, it, it invoked Thatcher it invoked Mm-mm. Reagan yes. it invoked Nixon you know but something I read though um, be- um, because uh, Reagan was popular at the time um, Alan Moore thought it would be safer if he just presented Richard Nixon in his fourth term rather than somebody who was presently sitting in office because he figured that if it was too on the nose that people would just reject it outright Mm. So I think maybe that's what people are reacting to now with this new show. It's a little bit on the nose. I mean, it's more on the nose than the original series, mm-hmm. for sure. But only because that um, the writer, Alex Kurtzman, doesn't seem to have um, any bones about showing us the here and now. Oh, uh, you know, I don't mean to be a correcting correct person. It's actually Damon Lindelof, I believe, who's the showrunner. Seriously? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Who's, uh, show, who's uh, the guy behind Leftovers and right, right, uh, right. He worked on Lost, I believe. I think you know more about these TV guys than I do, actually. But Damon oh, Lindelof is the showrunner. Oh, okay. My bad. My bad. Because yeah. you know they work together. So Kurtzman is currently working on uh, Star Trek Discovery and. Uh, right, he's, he's the Star, the Star Trek, Trek shows. Yeah, he's the Star Trek. Guy. Oh wait, while we're on it, I mean, it's the same kind of people I would think who complain that the new Star Trek shows are too political. <laughs> I mean, or like they're too social justice warrior. You know, I mean, like those were. I mean, those, the, you, you can you can have a stance over whether things are political or not, mm-hmm. but the the idea of politics being too much in Star Trek is weird because it's it's bound into the DNA of the, of the of the property and it's the same as with Watchmen. The original, you know, the original series with Shatner, I mean yeah. that the reason that people still talk about it 50 55 yeah. years later is because you know, they had the balls to put a yeah. black woman, an Asian dude, yeah. a Russian guy with a bunch of white people and aliens and they're all working together. Yeah. So and, you know, the pol- in the 60s, that's about as radical as you can get. Yeah, I mean, the politics of, star- of the original Star Trek are very, in my humble opinion, they're very milquetoast, but also mm-hmm. they're 50 years old. They're 50 years old. I mean, some of those some of those um, stories, I mean, you really got to take them with a grain of salt. I mean, you have to look at them as products of their time. Yeah. Really. Um, especially the way they approach their storytelling. But, you know, you also have to realize Back at the time, this was groundbreaking stuff. No one else was doing it. I want to get back to that thing you mentioned about Nixon. Like, that, that, that was new to me. Like, I, I had no idea that the Nixon was really just uh, sort of like <laughs> I, a, a, a time traveling motion forward to serve as a stand in for Reagan. I think the exact quote from Alan Moore was he chose Nixon because 
nobody would have a problem with him being the bad guy. That is true, and that's absolutely true. <laughs> as early as as early as 1985, with Nixon being behind them, like by just mm-hmm. under a decade, if they put if he's, if he's, you say, "Oh, this is a bad president," mm-hmm. like the whole comic book reading public would just be like. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he he was pretty bad, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same way that we can already make put we, people can put Trump analogs in comics now <laughs> while he's still president because he's inarguably like disliked. I don't know. I think that guy's just digging his own hole. Yeah, but you know, uh, I want to get back to the president thing. Go the reason why the whole Nixon Reagan thing because I'm very fascinated by this series. The current president is Robert Redford, which I in, think is awesome. Yeah, the, the like, yeah, they call him the Sundance president even at <laughs> one point. In the, you know, and they, yeah, and they say, and in fact, there's this, there's this. Oh, I'll get back to that later, but and they cast Robert Redford to play Robert Redford. By the way, sorry, I don't think they're. I don't think they cast him. I mean, they use his picture. Is he actually in the show? He, I think he. Yeah, uh, it's gonna. He's he's. Officially been cast. You're serious? Okay, yeah. Okay, I'm going to watch this but all the way what? through. I did not notice his picture, so maybe you're 100% right. His and picture's he's only, there he's in the in classroom. The, so they secured his likeness at the very least. Mm. But I heard that if if it's necessary, they can get him in to, to play the president. Because he'd, be he'd be the right age because he's it's 2019 and that's exactly how old Robert Redford would be. Right, right. And... But what's interesting to me also is they talk about how racial tensions really like changed the landscape of the Watchmen universe. Right, right. Moving on from 1985 onwards. Mm-hmm. And so they they make this remark about reparations, reparations made to black people right. in under the presidency of Redford. Right. And they call them Redfordations. Right, right. Which is considered a slur or at least a kind of a racist like if you say it, you betray your racist uh beliefs by saying it. Uh which is evocative of the word Obamacare, where you like Take something and you, you know, you derisively attach something. I was to it. thinking more of something like um, affirmative action. It was that's the way it, it hit me that they were that they would they were slinging again some like you said something that's ostensibly pos- positive but giving it a negative connotation because yeah. um, the minorities are the ones who uh, benefit from this. Um, yeah, that was mentioned in that scene where. Um, it was Regina King's character, yeah, Regina right? King. She's, she's a teaching. she's a school teacher, and she was born in Vietnam. Vietnam has been a state of the United States ever since Doctor Manhattan helped them win the Vietnam War in the sixties. It's the fifty second or fifty first state of America, basically, right? I never could count, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, so Doctor Manhattan helped them win the war, and um, it's been a state ever since. So she grew up, and now she's a teacher. She was also a former police officer from the time before cops were allowed to wear masks and she goes into this story about how she was once uh the victim of a gunshot uh she mm-hmm. she she was attacked and um a gunshot wound that's yeah. what made her decide to retire cuz this was before cops were allowed to be anonymous that's her that's her official reason she says that i'm not a cop because I got injured in the line of duty, basically, right, right. and I didn't want to like put that on my children or mm-hmm. live in a future, live in a, live a life knowing that I could die any moment, right. that kind of stuff. You know, but, all reasonable stuff. Yeah. But um, I'm I'm smirking at you right now because you and I both know that that's kind of disingenuous because she's actually operating as a yeah as she's a, she's a, she's a, a, right she's a superhero yeah she's a superhero she's like uh, she's basically a latex covered nun. She's What's her name again? Sister Knight? <laughs> Black Sister Night Sister. Night Sister. Is that right? Oh man. Oh God. Are we- I'm pretty sure it was Night Sister. 
<laughs> she's oh, got good. the whole thing. She's got the habit. She's got the rosary beads. Sister Midnight? No, that's of David Bowie's song. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I thought she was very well cast in the role though. I mean, I totally believe her as a homemaker, teacher by day. And I don't know, bakery owner. She's not a teacher. She's a bakery she owner. She was a guest in the classroom. Look at us discover the episode in our brains. <laughs> right, right. We should have watched it again. <laughs> But um, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. She's opening a Vietnamese bakery in the neighborhood. Yeah, this black lady, as they do, opening opening Vietnamese bake shops, and she is a mm. homemaker and she is also a superhero. There we yeah. go. Yeah, and she works with Don Johnson's police chief to find try and figure out who shot up that cop from the beginning. You catch that very subtle like smiley face she made with the eggs. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, yeah, yeah. So she cracked some eggs, and, mm-hmm. and, and we get a we get a shot from underneath the bowl, and the, the egg yolks form a smiley face. It's meant to evoke uh, the smiley face from the iconic smiley face from the mm-hmm. Watch, Watchmen mm-hmm. comics. Yep. And uh, something that happens a little bit after that is um, we see some of the aftermath of what's his name, the bad guy. Ozymandias. Right. We see a little bit of the backlash from his evil plot from the end of first uh, Adrian, of, the, of, the original, yeah. of the original Watchman book, which was he kidnapped a bunch of artists, writers, scientists, geneticists, phys- physicists, you name it. He kidnapped them. He had them all create an evil alien menace um, completely artificially so that he could inflict it on New York and this would unite the world in a common direction, fighting against an unseen alien foe not knowing that he'd engineered the whole thing to create world peace and um, the form that that alien invader took was a giant psychic squid not the state of marshmallow man no I'm sorry that was another movie but <laughs> here, here so a giant psychic squid um, killed a whole bunch of New Yorkers and the psychic feedback apparently injured a whole lot more mm. and now 30 years later, we still get little baby squids falling from the sky. That's and right. apparently it's an everyday thing. Yeah, they've got they've got sirens and alarms, sort of like a storm warning, right. except it's squid warnings. Mm-hmm. And then they just roll their eyes like, oh God, not this again. I'm going to be late for work. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid squid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That squid stuff, that's removed from the Zack Snyder Washman movie, right? What do you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He changed the ending. He didn't want to go with a space squid. What did he go with? I don't, I don't know because I've never seen the movie actually. I'm trying to remember what he went with. I know this because I'm like one of the eight people who actually likes that movie. Mm. Most people I know cannot stand it. I mean, a lot of people say... In, um, um, I watched the first half. I, I thought it was fine. I didn't... I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I didn't finish it, but I like... It was not to any degree offensive to me. Or I think know. I think what he did was he framed Doctor Manhattan. It was still a similar like an explosion and a psychic attack, but mm. he, I think he framed Doctor Manhattan. That makes that it. makes Hollywood movie sense to me actually. So I'm, um, you know, everybody can email us or message us and yes, and tell us how wrong we are, how, how we don't remember what the, happened in a ten year old movie, <laughs> you know, and we're just making up endings. But yep, that's the ending I'm gonna go with. No, but seriously, <laughs> I I fucking like that movie. Okay, mm-hmm. I do not like. Anything that Zack Snyder did with the DC Extended Universe. But I love Watchmen. The, the, my, I love his Watchmen. My personal feeling from the from the one hour and ten minutes I saw of the movie. Why I didn't go for all two hours. I don't know why. Mm. But You could make it three hours if you watch the animated bits. Uh, that's right. With the Tales from the Black Freighter stuff. Mm-hmm. No, you, like 
it's slavishly faithful. Absolutely. And that can be held against it. I choose not to hold it I against don't, it. I don't because yeah. I've seen worse. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it is absolutely slavish to the source material, but I don't think it's held back by it. I, think I actually th- like the way they interpret those panels in the same way that I like the way that Snyder created 300, which yeah. also was pretty much shot for shot, the original I, comics. I think the problem really is that you know, like what happened, this happens a lot in, in film, in the film discourse or whatever you call it, is that things that a director becomes famous for doing bad things, or at least he acquires a sort of like a negative reputation for some of his worst attributes. And then those attributes get retroactively moved back to paint his previous work in a bad light. And so in the case of Zack Snyder, like, let's be honest, Batman v Superman is a hot pile of garbage, but I do not think that necessarily means that just because he made some of the worst superhero movies, that automatically every work he's made before is automatically bad. You know, no, like no, absolutely not. I, yeah, I like, still stand by my love of those movies. Yeah, honestly. like 300 is not the worst thing in the world. Is I enjoyed three hundred. So did a lot of people. It, did did people? Did, do I agree with its machismo and its weird reinterpretation of like, you know, colored people as like? you know, an exotic, effeminate other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that doesn't make it a bad movie. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, for me, what I really enjoyed about the Watchmen movie was, for decades, literally, people had always maintained that there's no way this movie's going to get made. Mm-hmm. There's no way this can be translated to the screen. And Zack Snyder, whatever, for better or worse, he cracked the code. He found <laughs> a way to bring those ridiculous costumes to the big screen in a way yeah. that wasn't insulting. He found a way to recreate iconic panels and um, absolutely, and somehow make them convincing. And um, he also found found a way to bring all 12 issues um, and most of their themes intact to the big screen in under three hours somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he did a lot more than most people give him credit for. And honestly, the thing, I think I've I've, I've talked about this with you before when Mm. we've been talking about various superhero movies and stuff like that, is that the problem I think with Watchmen was that it's a movie that came out before superhero culture had really disseminated itself to the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Like every American grew up with comic books for sure, but mm-hmm. uh, comic books and superheroes did not penetrate like the entire consciousness of, of, of people. Right, and so right. it might have been a little too soon to be all like, all right, you know, here's Night Owl, here's Dr. Manhattan, here's Silk Spectre. And they're all like, Pissed off superheroes. Ugh. Because superhero movies weren't that big a thing yet. Yeah, I mean, sure, it was nine years or six years in from from Spider Man, but just you know, Spider Man, Sam Raimi's Spider Man movies and and Tim Burton's Batman movies do not constitute an entire genre or an entire like no, literary no, genre. Not at all. Yeah. In fact, you can even argue that Spider Man's um, prominence was spurred on by, of all things, Blade in yeah. 1998. You know, because uh, back then Marvel Comics was bankrupt; they were they weren't doing anything with their characters on the big screen, so they needed the money. They basically sold off most of their major properties to different studios, and um, um, yeah. So the new line tested the waters with Blade, saw some money in that. Then they went off with Ghost Rider and whatnot. Um, Fox went with Daredevil and uh, your favorite, the Fantastic Four. My favorite, the Fantastic Four. <laughs> and uh, Sony, as we all know, went with Spider-Man and they chose Sam Raimi to direct it who heavily, heavily rooted it in the era he grew up in, which was the Silver Age comics, the classic Peter Parker as starving student, 
madly in love with Girl Next Door, Mary Jane Watson. And um, those, those, those films um, exist in a very specific time and place when people weren't entirely sure if this superhero thing was going to be a real trend, if it was, if it was going to have legs. But again, here we are um, almost, um, what, 16, 17 years later, and we are still talking about these movies. Mm. But I agree with you. Um, the Watchmen movie coming out when it did may have been a little premature. Um, as far as the general populace was concerned, because people weren't as aware of the superhero tropes as they are yeah. now after 10 years of the MCU. But if I told you 10 years ago that people would be weeping in theaters across the world over Tony Stark's death while finagling the <gasps> Infinity Gauntlet off of Thanos, spoiler warning, sorry guys, um, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't have believed me either. That we would get to this point in pop culture. But that's why we can have... This is the perfect time for a show like Watchmen to come out. That's why it's the perfect time for a show like The Boys to come yeah, out. which we talked about before. Yeah. Uh, is that, you know, these... Both The Boys and Watchmen are like d- different television shows that are bu- now building in a collective literacy of comic books and superheroes that is now shared by an entire movie, mm-hmm. movie or TV going public. Mm-hmm. Not just... Uh, you know, a subset of, of 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 pop culture fans, aka comic book geeks. Right, right. And um, something that was interesting, I think, about um, the Watchmen, the original comic book, and reflected to a point in the film, but maybe not enough for some people, was that these people are just—they're all sad sacks in their <laughs> regular lives. They're not fully alive or they don't feel like themselves they don't feel empowered until they put on their their kinky outfits and they go beat up some bad guys and that's something that you see in the relationship between Night Owl and Silk Spectre in the original they literally can't get it on until after they've taken out some bad guys yeah and um, they did that also happened in the movie that was also presented but um, an argument that I've seen against the film is that it's too slick in that it doesn't make them look pathetic enough in fact, it glamorizes them. It, 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 some people say that the film misses the point. It doesn't present superheroes as sad, fractured, broken people. It presents them as people that you want to emulate because they're so gosh darn cool. I get what this person is saying. Okay, like, so this is where we go into the realm of like all film criticism and all, like, and all literary criticism is, is subject to a personal interpretation or personal opinion. And I think, I think it's absolutely fair to, 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 to claim of you that the movie glamorizes it. But I also think that because everybody looks so slick in those movies, it's supposed to represent like an internal idealization. Right. You know what I mean, like they are pathetic and the contrast and irony is that they don't look pathetic because mm. this is the fantasy that they've been working out in their heads. I guess so. But uh, as we, the we the audience, are we supposed to be in on that delusion or we're we supposed to like, you know, we're not supposed to be deluded. We're supposed to be the outside looking in. Mm, that's fair. Right? right? We're not supposed to be on the ground with them. We're supposed to know more than them. Mm-mm. So we're not supposed to be in on their delusion. Mm-mm. But uh, while we're on it, uh, speaking of delusion, um, part of the premise of the new show is that what happened 30 years ago with um, Ozzy Mandias, his giant space squid, uh, pretend space squid, um, uniting America and Russia against a common foe. Apparently, that didn't last. Um, whatever peace they had has since been shattered because somehow uh, the world at large found out that it was all a setup. That, mm. that Adrian Veidt had actually... Um, engineered the entire thing and in the, in the show he's shown to be al- alive and well he's played by Jeremy Irons great in, guy great guy mm-hmm, yeah he's Scar he's like the best Scar I don't and he's also in that he's also the best thing about the Dungeons and Dragons movie 
I don't want to talk about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's so bad. Hmm. He's also he's, but he's generally the best thing in most of the movies. He's yeah, yeah, he's always the best thing. In, like you, he, he he is immune to the slings and arrows of terrible cinema. He shall walk into a bad movie and exit it completely untainted. Like Die Hard Three <laughs> should not be anywhere near as fun as it is, except for him. I honestly, one hundred percent agree. You know, it's it's it's, it's funny. I, I think for every good movie that you mentioned in this podcast mm. I feel like I mean, might be legally obligated to mention a terrible movie you already just, mentioned Dungeons and Dragons exactly I'm just I'm just I'm just <laughs> I'm just providing you the framework that you can now expect at least one Dungeons and Dragons every episode Christ almighty okay <laughs> I hope you can hear me out there I'm rolling my eyes as hard as I possibly can at Matthew right now the microphone won't pick up the flapping noises <laughs> I can try <laughs> anyways um, so um if, correct me if I'm wrong, but my impression from the show was that Rorschach's journal got published. And that's how the entire world found out. Yeah. Okay, I got a couple of issues with that. Um, Rorschach knew he was going off to his possible death, right? Yeah, and he mailed it to the new frontiersman. He, he, he mailed his journal, his handwritten journal. To a cook he, publication, basically. Right. Okay, never mind the fact that most mainstream media outlets wouldn't even notice the crackpot uh, writings of a tabloid like that. Mm-hmm. No matter how based in truth, no matter you know if they were getting the actual scoop from the real person, as it were. Mainstream media, mainstream media might not necessarily pick up on that. But um, so fine. Let's assume that they did. That CNN and Fox News and all the other news outlets that they all picked up on this crazy story from this crazy little. Uh, Right wing tabloid, right? I'll counter offer something, which is I think you're I think you're right. Mainstream media would not dignify the journal ravings of a madman, mm-hmm. especially one you know who's known for like the actions and right, his right. mental instability. A mass vigilante at that. But uh, we also live in an environment today wherein just about anybody will pick up any random kook ass, you know. Like right, there are all these like uh disinformation websites that exist now. Right, right. That you and I would not dignify with even a click, but we always have that crazy uncle or crazy aunt who's just like shares it with you. Right, right, right. Right. So I think I think it's very possible. If that, it's on the internet, it must be true. Well, it's more like even if mainstream media doesn't come in to support to 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 lift Rorschach's writings into the public into the mainstream, mm-hmm. you know, it will find its way to the kooks who are attracted to that kind of material. Okay, fine. Pres- presuming a digital network, or at least presuming an ability to distribute that kind of information. Assuming we the, haven't the internet exists yeah, in this we, universe. I'd li- I I think the internet does exist, but we haven't seen it. So you know, for all we know, there is none. I mean, they have pagers for crying out loud. So <laughs> they have pagers. They have pagers. That's yeah. right. That's right. No, okay, fine, fine. Given all that, fine. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you know the world took notice of Rorschach's crazy ride. Rorschach's crazy ride, and not the world, but specifically a disenfranchised, angry, crazy, you know, kook bunch of people. To the point that Ozymandias had to go into hiding. To the point that he has to be declared legally dead because he's been missing for so long. But what I have to ask is, um, goes a little bit to the original text. Oh, and this is where it gets extremely nerdy. All right, that go, go, go. I'll go. He didn't know about the space squid when he mailed that thing. Then in that case, I so think we what, were... what did he put in his journal that got the that, that put the whole world against Ozymandias before Rorschach? I mean, Rorschach died, so there's no way he could have amended that thing. I think you're talking about two very different things. I think 
uh, I think the, the train of logic you're going for is one that I agree with, but they're not on the same path. So Rorschach's writings are, have nothing to do with the squid. So what did he expose? Uh, Just the, the death of the comedian. The, the death of the comedian, the corruption that is lying at the heart of like the relationship between government and vigilantes. Who knows? Or at least it's the kind of material that that galvanizes people to believe in anti-authority, you know, and all that and all that stuff. And however, it, the, the squid got exposed would have happened through separate means, not through Rorschach's journal, but through something else. After all, it's been forty years. Even if the even if the squid 30, wasn't exposed. Even if the squid wasn't ex- uh, the squid conspiracy, the squid spiracy <laughs> was not exposed on year one of the of the whole thing. There's like 39 years left to go to, to for the truth to come out through some other means. Who knows? Why do you keep Night- adding years? It's been 30 years. I was actually gonna lampshade that, but you beat me to it. <laughs> 21 years. I never could. 84. Count, that's 69. Bad. That's such bad math. 17. <laughs> Eight. Anyways. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really want to know what exactly set the world against Adrian Veidt. I really want to know. And I think, I'm hoping the next few episodes will um, take us in that direction. I mean, I, okay, I, you know, I, uh, anybody who's been listening this long knows that we've just gone deep into weeds, into nerd territory here. Kind but of, I think, of, yeah, that was but, embarrassing. No, I think, I, thought it was, I think it's great. I just, you know, I also want to encourage people to check out the series you know, if, if they were even remotely interested, even if they've never read the comic, mm. because I think what's interesting about the show is that it doesn't presume knowledge of the comic. It that's that's hard for us. That's hard for us to grasp because yeah. we've read the comics. But if you sort of like check it out, like you won't know who this. You'll see a man named Adrian Vate in his castle. Yeah, being serviced by what I assume are robots. Yeah, by robots. You'll see. You know, Doctor in Manhattan isn't explicitly referenced. You know, he's on the, the news. He's on yeah, TV at some yeah, point. Yeah, but they're not. They're not part of the main. You know, what I mean, like all of these things that are so important to the Watchmen comic, right, right. Are not like in the main line of it of the of the of the narrative. But something that's um, coming up that, that something that they hinted at, and I think they're going to flesh it out in further episodes. Is there is um, going to be a uh, a documentary series within the show? Oh shit! That yeah. talks about the old super team that included the main characters from the original Watchmen, and I think that's interesting because in a kind of uh, meta way, like what the boys did with their reality shows. Yeah. And this one seems to be made up of documentary footage, and I guess. Historical reenactments, and I love that bit too because they call it like I love. I always love it when when television shows sort of like reflect or speak to our current reality. Yeah, American hero story, yeah, because it's actually supposed to be a, a riff on American horror story. Not just the name check, but they even asked Ryan Murphy of American if horror story. Yeah, if he was if really it was okay, and if he might be interested in directing or appearing in it. No he said shit. he might. He said he won't appear in the show, but you know he gave his blessing for the name American. That's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they wanted to. Ha- they were toying around with this concept of in this universe, Ryan Murphy directs you know superhero anthology shows. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Okay. That's, okay. That's kind of cool. That kind of is. And um, to be perfectly honest, I think um, it's a great time for fans of the comic book genre in general, for two reasons. One. Um, it's great that the world has finally caught up to something that we've always known in that um, that there is emotional depth, there is narrative depth, there 
is a lot of stuff to be had from reading these stories. Political depth, cultural Political depth, depth absolutely. Um, so there's a lot that can be gained from it's not just for kids. And that's something that I've been, um, you know, I'm a practically a broken record um, at this point as far as that sort of thing goes um, in declaring um, that these things should be taken seriously. I mean, a lot of it is for kids, granted, but not all of it is. That's that's number one. Uh, it's great that I mean, it's like we're at a, that point in po- the pop culture zeitgeist. Sorry, uh, that we're at that point in people's pop culture consciousness that they can understand. Oh, that's a reference to this, or this is a reference to that. Um, we've gone, we've come that far. I love that. Mm. And number two, the re- another reason that I like that um, the uh, part of the reason that we've got this gotten this far is because we've had so many of the traditional kind of superhero stories that now it's the perfect time also to be telling alternative sorts of superhero stories, deconstructions. But they couldn't do these kinds of dis- deconstructions before people actually knew. What they were deconstructing. Yeah, and and you know the real world, the real world, and the critical zeitgeist reflects this already. Just just the fact that you can open your web browser or your news feed and see like an article that says, "Oh, we're tired of superheroes, mm-hmm. superhero glut." Yep. Oh, there's been superhero fatigue. Is absolutely like that to me is is the clarion call for these kinds of shows. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I, if you, if I was an executive, which I'll never be, but if I was an executive in a network and I see there, we're tired of this genre, I'd be like. Time to order some deconstructions. No, but that's the thing. I mean, the fact that it's a genre now, yeah. whereas when I was in grade school, it was something that, you know, just, you know, you and your nerdy friends yeah. who were into this sort of thing. And that's something the mainstream would never get into. I once actually dated somebody who's like, I don't read comics. I only read Sandman. I would never read comics. See, what, how, what do you say to that? Sandman's a comic. The Justice League's in the first issue. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the Justice League is in the first issue of Sandman. So how is that not a comic book? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, think about it. Um, 10, no, more than 10 years ago, like 12, 13 years ago, Mystery Men came out and nobody knew what the hell to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Mystery Men is ahead of its time. I'm, I'm going to stand th- by that. Mystery Men is awesome. I think that's I think that's giving it too much credit. <laughs> but it's definitely ahead of its time. Does that make sense? It mocked a lot of the superhero tropes that people take for granted now. And mm-hmm. back then, it was only funny to a very select group. I think it was definitely ahead of its time. Wow, I feel like there's just so much more to talk about. Actually, I think we could. I think, I think. <laughs> okay. Um. I okay. So earlier, I googled. While while you were talking, I googled. I'm sorry. I promise. I was kind of listening. No, I guess it's okay. No, I googled. Um, I, I was right. What Ozymandias did in the movie was he didn't present a giant space squid as a threat from beyond the stars to unite the people of the Earth. He presented Doctor Manhattan as the threat in our midst that the people of the Earth have to unite. That kind of makes sense, especially since so much of the film is hinged around Billy Crudup's very excellent yes, performance. Yes, I it's love It's a shame it. to not like bring him forward into the main plot. And that's something that I never understood. There were people who absolutely fucking hated that idea that they didn't use the canonical ending of the comic book. Because, so I'm like, so you're saying it sticks too much to the book, but the tiny little bit that doesn't, that's what you're upset about? Like 95, 98% of this movie is straight from the pages. I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah, no, I mean, and then that's what you complain about. It yeah. actually makes sense, like you said, in the context of the film, because we follow this guy through his, uh, through his transformation, through yeah. his disconnect from humanity, through the destruction of his marriage. Because, because the movie is the because the movie is so much physically shorter than right. the actual comic book. Right. 
um, Billy Crudup's Doctor Manhattan sort of takes up more space in the film, mm-hmm. and I think from an from a shape sense, it becomes more important for him to have an in into the third act, right? As opposed to him just trying to distance himself from humanity, like yeah. what he did in the comic book. Which brings us to the TV show. What do you think Doctor Manhattan's been up to the last thirty years? Well, we see him in. We, don't we see a shot of him on the moon Ooh. or on Mars? I would think it was Mars. It was kind of pink. Yeah, it was pink. So it was Mars. It Fine. was Mars. Okay. Yeah. What do you think he's been up to? Just building ice castles like Elsa? Oh man, I might not be. A, I might. Not, I'm. I'm the worst at speculation. I don't. Like my brain, my brain does not instantly go to speculation. I tend to be more of a guy who goes like, "All right, what, tell me, show me, show me, creator. What is it you? What is nope, it you nope, have? nope, nope. You can't do that. You cannot answer a question with a question. All right. So you know what I think? I think um, he is keeping tabs on 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 Ozymandias. He's waiting for Ozymandias to resurface. He's waiting for Scar to make a move. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's that, that's that's where I'm going to go with that. That makes sense. That I don't think sense. that necessarily means it's going to translate into action because, after all, Doctor Manhattan really doesn't want to have anything to do with the affairs of you know mortal men right, anymore. Right. But you know, the supposed greatest intellect of the Earth can mm-hmm. only be outmatched by the most powerful being that you know that that's that's ever been. So I think if I was an was an emotionally disaffected, omnipotent super being, mm-hmm. I definitely be like, well. I'll stick around and see what this guy's up to because you know, you know, I'm the only one who can stop him. That's fair. For my part, I like to think that he's doing what some helpful people on YouTube have conjured up. Oh, he, what he he's making ice castles on Mars to the tune of "Let It Go" and it's amazing. Have you seen that video where they set they set those uh, the song they set the scenes from Watchmen 2009 to "Let It Go"? Yeah, pretty much. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, you should, you should check. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so that was our episode on Watchmen. Um, let us know what y'all think we're, we can expect in the upcoming episodes. By the time this comes out, there should be a couple more um, out to talk about. And um, are we going to revisit this? Because I, I mean, I had so much fun today. Like, I would love to revisit this Watchmen. Like, you know, sort of like not do a day, a, a, a weekly, weekly recap, but mm-hmm. sort of like you know, check in and 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 talk about you know what's going on with the show. Well, let's let the listeners decide. Why don't you all tell us if you want to hear more of us talking about Watchmen. Follow us on Facebook. This is Three Point Landing. I'm Misha. I'm Matthew. Blink once for yes. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) What was that? I don't know. (laughs) 